The following sermon is brought to you by Capital Community Church, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capital Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, or from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship at 1045 a.m. every Sunday morning and 6 o'clock p.m. for our evening service. If you have any questions, please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 14. We're going to begin right where we left off last week, verse 16. Let me remind you of the context. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. They're celebrating their final Passover. Jesus has told them that he is going away, and he has comforted the disciples by telling them that he is going to prepare a place for them. He is going to heaven so that they can later go to heaven. He has tried to comfort them. He's also given them instructions on what they are to do. In the meantime, look at verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what you are to do while I'm away. Well, now he is going to give another comfort to the disciples. This is such an important statement for them and for us to know and understand. Look what he says in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give to you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I saw a cartoon this week, a psychology cartoon, and it basically said life is uh, well, let me, let me describe the picture first. The picture was a guy with his arm around himself. It was a guy holding himself. And the, and the cartoon said, life is coming to grips with the reality that you are completely alone. That was the cartoon. And, and if you are a secularist, in other words, if you don't believe in a triune God, that is your worldview. That in the end, you are alone that you're really just cosmic dust. And your future is a cold, hard death where, you, where your companions will be the worms. That there's nothing after death. And Christianity is so completely contrary to that. Christianity from the very beginning is about fellowship with Christ and knowing God. Jesus said in John 17, three, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. It's about a relationship with him. Do you remember John the Baptist pointed at Christ? He said, behold, the Lamb of God, he takes away the sin of the world. And the disciples, John's disciples, came to Jesus, and, he, and they asked him questions, and, and Jesus said, come and see. Come follow me. Come and see. In John chapter 6, after Jesus gave the bread of life discourse, he said some hard words. He said to the people, you're not pursuing me for the right reasons, you're pursuing me because I make bread and all this stuff, but you need to know that I am the bread of life that has come out from heaven, and at that, lots of people left. And Jesus asked the disciples, he said, do you wanna go away too? And Peter said, Lord, where would we go? 
you have the words of eternal life. The idea is this, is that the disciples felt a companionship with our Lord. They felt comforted in the presence of our Lord. Do you remember Mary and Martha? Mary, uh, Martha was busy, but Mary did what? She sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach, because she loved being with Christ. And that is the real essence of Christianity, is it's the fellowship with Christ. And so you can imagine the disciples, they're distraught with this thought that Christ is going away, that Christ is going to heaven. And the question that is lingering in their minds is this, well, what about the fellowship? What about the fellowship? What about the relationship? And maybe you've asked the same question. What is my Christianity? Is it just a set of beliefs that I learned in Sunday school somewhere along the way? It has to be more than that. Because the essence of true Christianity is the relationship with the Lord. And the way that that relationship works is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, he's talking about after he's ascended to the Father. He said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Underline or circle that word, another. It's the Greek word, elos. And it, it means it means a similar or a different person. And what Jesus is saying is, is essentially a, an exchange is going to take place. Uh, there's going to be a trading of spaces. When I was a kid, I used to watch wrestling. I'm talking about WWF, WWE. Anybody, I used to think it was the real thing. You know, this, this is real. And my favorite thing to watch was the tag team. Did you ever watch the tag team? The idea of the tag team is that you have two wrestlers going against one another. And when one of the wrestlers gets tired, what he can do is he can reach out a hand, he can tag the other wrestler, and at that point, that wrestler can come in the ring and take up the fight against the other wrestler. Or maybe if you're a gal, you probably didn't watch wrestling, but maybe you saw that movie, The Parent Trap. Did y'all see that movie, The Parent Trap, where you had two identical girl twins, and they were separated at birth. They go to camp, and they realize that they look like one another, but that they had been separated, one with the father, one with the mother, and they decide to trade spaces. And of course, they end up bringing their parents together, and you know the genesis of the movie. Well, what Jesus is saying now is essentially that that there is going to be a trading of spaces that takes place, a trading of places, that he is going up to the Father, and he is going to send another helper. Sinclair Ferguson called it another Christ. Another Christ will come to be with the disciples. Now, look at that word helper. It's such an important word. It, it's, it's a really remarkable word. Um, you could translate it advocate, counselor. It's the Greek word parakletos. And, and, and really in the ancient world, what that was was an attorney, someone who would represent you legally. And I think what's interesting is, is that Christ is called our parakletos. In 1 John 2, 1, right 
down that reference, John says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a parakletos, a, a helper, a counselor with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And what John means by that is, is if you are a Christian, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and when you sin, your relationship with God is not obstructed because you have a counselor, an advocate for you in heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ the righteous. And Jesus Christ testifies to the fact that if you are united to him in faith, that all of your sins have been forgiven and that you stand before God on his righteousness as a saint. So he is our advocate. And what Jesus is saying here is that another advocate, another helper, will come. And, and this is a fascinating statement. Uh, in two, ver two chapters later, John 16, 7, Jesus says this. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the parakletos, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus says, it's actually to your advantage that I go away so that I can send the helper, the advocate, that he might come to you. And what's, uh, what's unique or different about Jesus' witness and the Holy Spirit's witness is that the, our Lord's witness was outside the disciples. Our Lord testifies in heaven of our status before God. It's all outside of us. The Lord Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is outside of us. But when the Holy Spirit came, it was a unique ministry in that the Holy Spirit took up residence inside the disciples. So it became an internal witness. Paul says in Romans 8, 16, the, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And so the disciples found that it was, it was truly better that Jesus had gone away. And it's truly better for us that Jesus had gone away because if Jesus were still here, he would be in a singular location He'd probably be preaching a crusade, probably somewhere in the, in the Far East. Who knows where he would be, but he would be preaching, and he would be out doing ministry. But he couldn't always be with you. And even if you were in the same room with him, do you think it would be hard to get around him? Yeah, it was hard to get around him when he was doing his ministry. You have even experienced possibly over the holidays, that you can be in the same room with a family member and not feel that personal connection to them. And what Jesus is saying is, is it's better that I go away because when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll always feel that connection. You'll always have that fellowship. It'll always be there, that internal witness. And so this morning, I want to give you four titles of the Holy Spirit to help you understand your relationship to God the Holy Spirit and what it means that you have this comforter, this helper, this advocate. And the first title I want to give, 
involves verse 16, and, and that is the Holy Spirit of fellowship. The Holy Spirit of fellowship. Look back at the end of verse 16. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And then look at this phrase, to be with you forever. That is a very important phrase, to be with you forever. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only anointed certain individuals, prophets, priests, and kings, and he only anointed them for specific works of ministry. And that anointing wasn't necessarily a permanent anointing. So for example, do you remember the prophets Elijah and Elisha? Remember, Elijah was an anointed prophet, called down fire from heaven, and the prophets of Baal were destroyed. And Elisha was his protege, and Elisha followed Elijah around. And God told Elijah, look, you're not going to die, but I'm going to take you up into heaven. And Elisha is with Elijah and they are cr going to cross the Jordan River. They're going to go east of the Jordan River. And they come to the Jordan. And Elijah takes off his cloak. And he hits the water with his cloak. And you remember the water parts. And Elijah and Elisha cross over. And at that point, Elisha asks Elijah a question. He says, Would it be possible for me to have a double portion of the Holy Spirit that has been upon you. And Elijah says this, he says, if you see me taken up, if you see the angels, if you see the chariots of fire, then you will know that the double portion of the Holy Spirit will be upon you. And of course, at that moment, they cross over, the chariot comes down, and he takes Elijah up. Elisha sees it, symbolizing the fact that the double portion of the Spirit would be upon him. He turns around, goes back to the Jordan. You remember what he does? The same thing. He takes the tunic, hits the water, the water parts, and he goes over. And all the sons of the prophets, the school of the prophets was there waiting. And you know what they said? They said that the portion of the spirit that was on Elijah is now on Elisha. And Elisha went forth. You remember what happened next? A bunch of boys started mocking him, started saying, go up, bald prophet, go up, bald man. And Elisha announced a curse on them, and some she-bears came out and basically destroyed those boys. That's what happens when you mess with a man of God. Uh, we're starting a women's discipleship group, group here called the she-bears, and uh, we would like you to, we would like you to, To, to join that group. But the, the point is, is that the Holy Spirit was put on the prophets, was put on the priests, was put on the kings for very specific purposes. And if God was done with you for that purpose, what God would sometimes even do is withdraw or take away this Spirit's anointing. So with Saul, God had given Saul an anointing of the Spirit But after Saul disobeyed, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 16, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And then when David sinned with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed, David prays, this is Psalm 51:11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. So 
They knew and understood that the Holy Spirit was only given for a specific purpose in their ministry. But what the prophets said would happen in the future is something new would happen with the Messiah. And that is this, is that the Holy Spirit would not be given to only a select few, but that the Holy Spirit would be given to all believers. And this is Joel's prophecy, Joel 2.28. Joel says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. In other words, what Joel is saying is everyone will receive the unction of the spirit. Well, what happened in Acts chapter two at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit comes down on everyone, not just the apostles, but everyone was prophesying. Everyone was speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit had come on everyone without distinction. And moreover, once the Holy Spirit came and, it, and the Holy Spirit was received by faith, God's promise was that the Holy Spirit would never depart. Once you receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would never be taken away from you. Jot down this verse, Galatians 3.14. Paul says that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. It was prophesied that the Holy Spirit would come and everyone who believed would receive the Holy Spirit permanently. Here's several implications. First, there is no second baptism of the Holy Spirit where you become a Christian and then later on, receive the Holy Spirit at a later point in time. Once you become a believer, every single believer is baptized and indwelled by the person of the Holy Spirit. And what that means is this, is that your advocate, the Holy Spirit, is always with you. He is always with you. And therefore, your spiritual experience doesn't change. Whether you're in India or Raleigh, North Carolina, or Houston, Texas. I remember I was deployed to uh, the, the east, and I, I remember sitting on a bullet train one time in Japan, one of those shin trains. I just remember having my Bible open, and it struck me that my experience reading the Bible was the exact same there in Japan as it was as it, growing, back, growing up in Texas. Exact same experience. Same communion with the Holy Spirit. Why is that the case? Because the Holy Spirit, he's always with you. And therefore, with other believers, their spiritual experience is not all that different from yours. It's the same Holy Spirit. Whatever your situation, God the Holy Spirit is with you. And what a comfort that is as you face difficulties, suffering, disease, tragedy, we need to remember that the Holy Spirit is there to comfort you, even through your trials. Let me give you a quote from John Owen. Quote, he says, the comforter actually never leaves the believing soul with no comfort at all. A man may be in the dark under a cloud, refusing comfort and actually finding none and feeling none. But the Spirit is the source of all comfort, and in due time, his comfort will be felt. The Holy Spirit will comfort you, he's saying. 
You might be in the clouds. You might be in the dark. It might feel like the walls are caving in upon you. But if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit, he will comfort you. He goes on to say, God promises that he will heal sinners and restore comfort to them. The comforter being sent and given abides with the soul of believers and does not leave them. So when you're walking in the darkness, when you're walking through difficulty, seek God the Holy Spirit's help. Pray to the Holy Spirit. He's God. He's God just as much as the Father is God, just as much as the Son is God. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Ask him to help you. Ask him to strengthen you. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.1, he says, you, my child, Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit is constantly supplying the strength that you need to live the Christian life. Don't try to live the Christian life in your own strength. Seek the help of the Comforter and your advocate. So that's the the first title that I want you to see of the Holy Spirit, that he is the Holy Spirit of fellowship. And the second is that he is the Holy Spirit of the truth. The Holy Spirit of the truth. Look at verse 17. Look at this title. Even the Spirit of truth. In the original Greek language, the word the is in front of truth. It's not just truth generically. It's the specific truth. It's the truth. And Jesus says, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. He says, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. When we talk about the truth, what do you think Jesus is talking about? Well, if you look up at verse 6, what does Jesus say? He says, I am the way the truth, and the life. The truth is the bedrock of all truth, the the bedrock of all truth, the foundation of all truth. It's the doctrine of the Trinity. It's who Christ is, that Christ is the only way to God. It's Christ's atonement for our sins. It's those truths that hold up and sustain all other truths in your epistemology. How do you know that you exist? Because God exists, that God sustains all things. And Jesus says is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the truth, that he is possessive of the truth, that the Holy Spirit, what he means by that is that the Holy Spirit is the witness to the truth. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Word of God. The Word of God is the truth. And every word of the Bible, every word of the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is what Peter says. This is 2 Peter 1.21. He says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's why when you read the Bible, there's congruency to it. That's why there's no contradictions in Scripture. That's why you have all these different human authors that wrote the Scriptures, but it all flows together. It's wedded together, and it's, um, it's completely in harmony with itself. Every verse of Scripture, there's, you might think that there's a contradiction, but there's not. And ultimately, all of Scripture testifies to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said to the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. So 
the Holy Spirit authored the scriptures, and they all point to Christ, who is the truth. So not only does the Holy Spirit author the truth, but the Holy Spirit bears witness to the truth in our hearts. And what the Word of God does is, so the Holy Spirit's the author of the Word, and then the Holy Spirit uses the Word to change us internally, to bear witness in our hearts internally. The writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. What he uses in your life to change you is the truth. He's the author of truth, and he uses the truth. So what this means is this, is you don't want to do an end around the Bible in your Christian life. If you want a spiritual experience with God the Holy Spirit, you don't say, God, give me some new revelation. Tell me something new. Help, just, just, just guide me in this step and I'm just gonna open up my mind. No, that's not what you do. What you do is you wanna hoist up your sail. And the way that you do that is by immersing yourself in God's word. Because the Holy Spirit inspired this book. And so the more that you immerse yourself in the word of God, the more that you come underneath the word of God on Sundays, the more that you take up your Bible and read during the week, the more that you meditate on the word of God, the more that you memorize it, the more that you journal it, the more that you go to Bible studies, the more that you're, you're listening to a sermon while you're driving in the car, the more that your mind is washed in scripture, the more ammo that the Holy Spirit has to use in your life. So you will begin to change when you immerse yourself in Scripture and say, God, use this word in my life to instruct me, to convict me. And guess what? God will do that. And God begins to change you through his word, through the inside out. Oftentimes, the problems with so many Christians in their spiritual life and the reason why they're not growing is because there's no word for the Holy Spirit to fan into flame. It's, it's just, you know, a bunch of, of VeggieTale videos or whatever. It, it's, you, you, there's no substance of, of truth in your life for the, for the Holy Spirit to use. And, and that's why so many Christians stay baby Christians for so long, is they become a believer, but then their interaction with the Word of God really doesn't begin. You begin to grow as you take this Word you immerse yourself in it and ask God the Holy Spirit to use it in your life. The same is true in churches, just like it's true in individuals. There's, there's mature churches and there's very immature churches. There's churches where people are immersed in the word and have a desire to obey the word. And there's churches which, again, I don't want to be rude, but I, sometimes I just call them Bible light, where... Uh, the sermon, there's a lot of stories, and there might be a few verses up on the screen, maybe in different translations, but they're all out of context, and the people aren't actually studying the word for themselves in the scriptures, and so they're walking away with maybe some basic Christian principles, maybe some verses to apply, on their, apply in their lives, but that's really it in terms of the scripture being in the life of the church. But if we want to see revival in the churches, 
It always begins when the churches begin to humble themselves and revere the word of God. And they say, we want to sit under the reading, the teaching, and the preaching of the word of God, not just as an intellectual endeavor, not just to educate ourselves, but as a means of obedience, of a means to knowing God. And when churches begin to do that, what you see is the Holy Spirit, it's, it's like you're hoisting up your cell and the Holy Spirit begins to blow and the Holy Spirit begins to sanctify and the Holy Spirit begins to work. And so we as a church, that's why we want to put the word of God central in every ministry, why we put the word of God central in every worship service, because we're asking for the Holy Spirit to begin to use his word, which he's authored, in our lives to do great work. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. The Holy Spirit uses the truth in your life to change you from one degree of glory to the next. But... Look at verse 17. He says, the world cannot receive because it neither, neither sees him nor knows him. That word cannot is very important. It means unable. The world is unable to receive the spirit of truth because it neither sees him nor knows him. The world, and by the word world here, Jesus is talking about the unbelieving world, unbelieving people who aren't the disciples. He says the world is unable to receive the spirit of truth. They don't know who he is. You might as well be talking about the force in Star Wars. You ever seen Star Wars? You know, they talk about the force, the, the good side of the force, the dark side of the force. Uh, everybody knows about the force. But Nobody here has experienced the force because it's a fiction, right? It's a fiction. It's completely made up in George Lucas's mind. It's not real. A lot of non-Christians hear about the truths of Christianity. They hear about the Holy Spirit. They might hear you talking about the Holy Spirit. They might hear you talking about what Christ has done. They might hear you talking about how you've trusted Christ in faith. But you know what it seems like to them? It seems like a fiction. Oh, it's great that you believe that. That's great for you. Uh, I, I, I see that you might believe that Jesus is the only way, but I, but I don't believe that. They have no realization and no understanding of spiritual things. Uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2.14. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They don't accept them. They don't believe them. In their mind, it's just a fictional fairy tale. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the Holy Spirit, he's real. Jesus Christ, he's real. All of it, it's real. But to see it, what does Jesus say to Nicodemus in John 3? You must be born again. The only way for you to see spiritual things is to have spiritual eyes. The only way for you to have spiritual eyes is for you to be born again. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, you will not understand spiritual things. I once heard Tommy, Nar uh, Tommy Nelson say it's like Narnia. Do you remember the wardrobe that the children went through? They go through the wardrobe, the, they go out the back, and what happens? There's a whole new world 
There's a whole new world. But the only way into that world was through that wardrobe in the back of that bedroom. And that's what the Christian life is like. When you become a Christian, you start seeing and understanding spiritual things that you never saw and understood before. You understand why fornication is sin. You understand what Christ has done. You understand the nature of forgiveness. You start understanding the doctrine of the Trinity. You start rejoicing in these things. You start understanding the importance of the church. You never understood the church before. You might have thought, I don't know why I'm being dragged to church every Sunday by my parents. It's just a complete waste of time. But then when you're born again, you start to love it. You start to cherish the fellowship because everything's changed. You've gone through the wardrobe. But the unbeliever, the, the, coming to Christ and the need for the new birth uh, is grates against their conscience because of the reality of their sin. Jesus said, in, in, or John said in John three nineteen, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So the unbeliever grates against this reality, grates against this reality that there is such a thing as sin, that Christ died for their sins and that they must humble themselves and receive Christ as both Savior and Lord. That message is unpopular. Think about it. Because it says we're all sinners. And particularly, Christ as Lord calls us to live holy lives. Specifically in the area of our marriage and our sexuality. Let's be honest, that is the point where our culture has most thrown off the shackles of Christ's lordship. That's the point where they say, we, will, it, we want to do whatever we feel like doing. And Christ cannot demand that this be called sin, and Christ cannot demand that I repent of this and come to him. But coming to the reality of our sin and who Christ is as Savior and Lord is the first step in terms of being born again. So, first, he is the Holy Spirit of fellowship. Second, he is the Holy Spirit of truth. Third, he is the Holy Spirit of Christ. Look at the last part of verse 17. This is really interesting. This is really fascinating. Jesus says, you know him. You know the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Jesus tells the apostles that they know the Holy Spirit because they have seen him. Now, the prophet Isaiah had prophesied that the Holy Spirit would come upon the Lord, would anoint the Lord. And in fact, that's what happened throughout our Lord's ministry. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized by John? The person of the Holy Spirit came down on the Lord in the form of a dove, and throughout Jesus' ministry, the Holy Spirit anointed him without measure. And he did the miracles, he did all of his teaching, he did all of his works in the power and the, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So look at this phrase, you know him, for he dwells with you. Jesus is looking at his disciples and he says, you know the person of the Holy Spirit because you've seen him. You've seen him anoint me throughout my ministry. He's my spirit. And for that reason, 
He's called the Holy Spirit of Christ. Let me give you some cross-references. In Galatians 4, 6, Paul says, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In Philippians 1, 19, Paul says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, because the Holy Spirit is sent by Christ and the Holy Spirit was the one who anointed Christ throughout his ministry. And look what Jesus says there at the end. He says, he dwells with you now on my person, but he says, he will be in you. He will be in you. Underline that phrase. That is such an important phrase. The Holy Spirit's ministry in the new covenant will be to reside and make his home inside the the soul of Christ's disciples. In the Old Testament, where did the Holy Spirit reside? The temple. The testimony of the, the Old Testament priests is that there was a constant flame above the temple. And that flame represented the, the Holy Spirit's presence. So if you wanted to meet with God, you would go up to the temple, and before that, the tabernacle. But what Jesus is saying here is that in the future, it will no longer be the, the temple that the Holy Spirit resides, but it'll be in your heart, that you will become the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's 1 Corinthians six nineteen. How did God the Holy Spirit reside amongst an unclean people, people who were sinners, How can a holy God make his habitation with sinful people? Well, do you remember what they would do at the temple? They had a big altar, a huge altar, taller than this platform. And the priest would go up on that altar, and he would cut the throat of bulls and goats, and there would be a bloodbath. There would be sacrifices and everything would be cleansed. The priest would be cleansed. The altar would be cleansed. The tools would be cleansed. Everything was cleansed by blood, and that blood represented the forgiveness of sins. And so everything was made holy so God the Holy Spirit could dwell with his people. Well, guess what Christ does to you in the new covenant? He purifies your heart through his blood. When you receive Christ in faith, you are washed by his blood. You are purified. You become a holy place where the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence. That's why before the cross, the Holy Spirit did not indwell believers. He anointed them, but he did not indwell them. But now after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and he indwells you. He lives in your heart. And therefore, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, Paul says, you must therefore glorify God with your body. He says in Ephesians 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit because whatever you do, God the Holy Spirit is taking part in. Wherever you go, God the Holy Spirit is there. Christ is there through his Holy Spirit. It's such an important thing to understand, isn't it? Look at verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. Have you ever been to an orphanage? Have you ever gone and visited kids? There's not as many now because of the foster care system. 
And I remember when I was over in Ukraine, I went to the orphanage, and I would go there and preach in the Bible colleges and teach, and, and at night, I would go to an orphanage and read the Bible to the kids before they'd go to bed. But it just struck me, looking at these kids, they would all, all the boys would be in one room, the girls would be in another room, and it's just so sad thinking about how these kids, they don't have parents to guide them, they don't have parents to comfort them, they don't have parents to teach them, there's, there's no... Uh, inheritance. There's no real hope of, of that nurturing. There's no real comfort besides the, the caretakers that are there at the orphanage. And Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you like that. I will come to you. I will comfort you. And when he says, I will come to you, look at verse 18. He means in the person of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the person of the Holy Spirit is so associated with Christ that when the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you, when you become a Christian, it's like Christ takes residence within you. That, that the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit of Christ, is Christ's spiritual manifestation in your life. So remember Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In the life I live by faith, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Christ comes and takes up residence within you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that means that he's always there to comfort, comfort you. He's always there to help you. He's always there to strengthen you. Think about the Apostle Paul. This is at the very end of his life. He was abandoned he was arrested again the second time, and Paul says, it's okay, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. How did the Lord stand by him and strengthen him? The Lord stood by him and strengthened him in the person of the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, and that means that Christ is always with you. Christ is always with you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want you to think about the darkest moment in your life. Maybe you got a phone call. Maybe you got a diagnosis. Maybe you saw somebody that you cherish die. Think about the darkest moment in your life. If you were a Christian, Christ was there. And he was comforting you strengthening you. Think about the greatest moments in your life when you were married, when you were baptized, spending this Christmas with your family. Guess who's there with you? Christ is there. There was a picture in my grandfather's office, such a wonderful picture, and it's a picture of a businessman sitting at his desk, and he's deep in thought, he's thinking. And someone else is sitting on his desk conversing with him, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. I know it kind of seems a little cheesy, but it's a powerful reminder. He's always there with you. He's always there because his spirit dwells inside of you. There's nowhere you can go from his presence. 
So first, he's the Holy Spirit of fellowship. He's the Holy Spirit of truth. He's the Holy Spirit of Christ. And then he is the Holy Spirit of life. He's the Holy Spirit of life. The Holy Spirit imparts life to us. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. So the, the world, the unbelieving world, will see Christ crucified. And after that, they will not see him anymore. He will go into the grave. And you remember when he was resurrected, he was only seen by those whom the Lord wanted to see him. Uh, He was only seen by the disciples. So the world would no longer see him. Uh, Jesus says, because I live, you also will live. In other words, when I am resurrected, because I live, you will have new life. And by new life, this new life in Christ that he's talking about, he's talking about the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that he will go to heaven, that he will send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will work a spiritual resurrection in us. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The Holy Spirit will come and work a new spiritual life in our hearts. Look at verse 20. In that day, I think this is in reference to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. He says, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. So the proof of Christianity, the proof that it's true, the proof that it's real, is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, when you're anointed on the day of Pentecost, you can know that I am up with the Father and that I have come to you. So it's not just facts that you study Christianity. It's a life-giving relationship through the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes, he gives life through the new birth, and then he begins to do this life-giving work in your heart. What the Holy Spirit does throughout the Bible is he always brings life. Genesis chapter one, verse two, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse two, Moses makes really an insightful observation. He says, the spirit of the Lord, the Ruach of the Lord was hovering over the waters, bringing order. And then when God starts, when God says, you know, let there be light, let there be uh, a a sun and the moon and, and all those things, it's the Holy Spirit who is carrying out this work. It's the Holy Spirit that is bringing life into the void. And it's the same true in your heart, in your life, that all Christian growth comes through the Holy Spirit doing this life-giving work in your soul. And this week, I, I was reading a Puritan on this named John Owen. And John Owen describes seven works, seven life-giving works that the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. And I wanted to close with these. Let me just give them to you quickly. First, he says, the Holy Spirit brings to mind the words and promises of Christ. Remember what I said earlier about how he, all, how he always uses the truth? Owen said, quote, if he brings to mind the promises of Christ for our comfort, neither Satan nor man, neither sin nor the world, nor even death itself, shall take away our comfort. So the Holy Spirit brings to mind the words and promises of Christ. Second, the Holy Spirit helps us to glorify 
the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is always lifting up Christ, always glorifying Christ, and always propelling us on to give honor and glory to him. Third, the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into our hearts. And that's Romans 5.5. The Holy Spirit sheds abroad in our hearts the love of God. He reminds us of God's love for us. D.L. Moody described, and you know, y'all know D.L. Moody, the, the, great, the great evangelist uh, in late 1800s? D.L. Moody said one time he was walking in the streets of New York, just walking in New York, and I think he was thinking about something in, in the scriptures, and all of a sudden he said, I felt a warmth come over my soul, and I felt the love of Christ for me anew. And from that moment, his preaching was never the same. He wasn't the same person. He felt that warmth of the love of Christ. And oftentimes, as a believer, that comes when you least expect it. Oftentimes, it comes during a trial or, or a difficulty. But you're just, you're, you're, you're going on, and then all of a sudden, you know, maybe it's through, through the encouragement of a friend, but you feel the love of Christ in your soul. And that's a, a life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. Fourth, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are God's children. That's Romans eight sixteen. You know, sometimes you have doubts about salvation. Sometimes you have doubts about the truth. And you, you, have you ever asked yourself, is, it, is, it, is this real? Is this true? And the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that this is the truth, that these things are real. And he comes and encourages us. Fifth, the Holy Spirit seals us into Christ's image. The Holy Spirit seals us into Christ's image. Do you remember a seal on an envelope? Uh, what, what a seal is, you know, somebody takes a signet ring and, and puts a seal into the wax, and the seal represents you. It might be your crest, your initials, whatever it is, right? God, the Holy Spirit, puts Christ's seal on you to where you begin to resemble Christ. In other words, it's a work of sanctification where God the Holy Spirit puts his seal on you and you begin to change. You begin to become more conformed to the image of Christ. You begin to look more and more like Christ. And six, the Holy Spirit is sent to us as the earnest or the guarantee of God's promises. You ever buy a house? You put down the earnest money. What's the earnest money? It, it's, you're saying, look, I'm going to fulfill on the contract. I'm going to pay the rest of the money. I'm good for it. And in a similar way, we might ask, well, how do we know that Christ will come back? How do we know that all of heaven's promises will be true? And the New Testament says, well, one of the ways that you know is that you already have a piece of it in the person of the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee of all of God's promises for you. And then seventh, is that God the Holy Spirit anoints believers for ministry. Have you ever faced a task where you've tried to, to minister and do something and you've just, it's just been difficult, it's just been hard and you've been pushing and, and it's just not coming easy. If, if you've served the Lord long enough, you've, everybody here has experienced that where it seems like you're hitting a wall and it's just so challenging. But what God the Holy Spirit does is he comes and it's almost like you have eagle's wings. He lifts you up. Remember what Paul says? He says, I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. When the Holy Spirit anoints you for ministry, you can minister in a way that you never thought possible with a unique spiritual power that you never knew that you possessed. And it's his power. And that's why Paul says, he says, the more that I can get out of the way, the more the Holy Spirit can be great in me. Remember he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. The, the moments that I'm the weakest is the moments that the Holy Spirit is often the strongest in my life. So the Holy Spirit comes and he anoints you for ministry. And just one challenge here, if you're not serving in the body, I don't care if it's pouring coffee or putting the little donuts in the cup, or if you're not serving, then there's, you're really not making yourself available to the Holy Spirit's anointing. You, you want to take, you might say, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can do, the, do that ministry. I don't think I can serve in that way. Well, guess what? That's right where God wants you. Because now you're ready to rely on his power and his strength. And the Holy Spirit will give that life to you so that you're able to serve in the power and unction of the Holy Spirit. So he, he enables the Christian life. He is the spirit of life. He is the spirit of Christ. He is the spirit of truth. And he is the spirit of our fellowship. Praise be to God. Christ has not left us as orphans. He has given us another comforter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for the comforter that you have given, the Holy Spirit, that through the Holy Spirit that we have the essence of the Christian life, that the Christian life is alive, that it's a relationship because we can know you wherever we go, that we have the spirit of truth within us, bringing us back to the truth, testifying to the truth, exhorting our minds, encouraging us with the truth, that we have the spirit of Christ, that we can be with Christ and have fellowship with Christ wherever we go, whether it's on the mission field or here, that the spirit of Christ is with us, that you are with us always, and that wherever we go, that you are giving us life to our mortal bodies, that you are conforming us more into the image of Christ, that you are anointing us for ministry, that you are reminding us of the promises that are ours in heaven that you are bearing witness with our spirit that we are your children, that we have this assurance, and that you are imploring, on, imploring us and pressing us on to glorify you. We thank you for this wonderful reality of the Holy Spirit, and may we honor and glorify you in him. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.